0: Okay, what do pole dancing, AI chatbots, and diet culture all have in common? They're all topics explored on Embodied, the award-winning weekly podcast from UNC, North Carolina Public Radio. Each week on Embodied, acclaimed journalist Anita Rao tackles difficult conversations around the taboos of sex and health and relationships to answer important questions about our bodies and our society. Just like Reimagining Love, nothing is off limits from the history of hookup culture to an exploration of how mental health affects our relationships. So go ahead and follow Embodied wherever you get your podcasts and make sure that you tell them I sent you. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. When my team and I were creating a vision for this show, months before we even launched, we made a list of dream guests. And today's guest was at the top of that list for sure. You are in for a real treat. Dr. Emily Nagoski is the award-winning author of the New York Times best-selling book, Come As You Are, the surprising new science that will transform your sex life. And she is the co-author with her sister, Amelia, of the New York Times bestseller, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. Dr. Emily earned an MS in Counseling and a PhD in Health Behavior, both from Indiana University, with clinical and research training at the Kinsey Institute. Now, she combines sex education and stress education to teach women to live with confidence and joy inside their bodies. If it's not obvious by now, I am a huge fan of Dr. Emily's work, and I have been for years. Her TED Talks are always integrated into my syllabi, and her books are on every resource page I prepare. I'm so grateful to have Dr. Emily here on Reimagining Love. Today, we're answering two listener questions about sexuality, so you get a double dose of her knockout wisdom. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. It is absolutely my pleasure. I have been teaching your work and recommending your work and sharing your TED Talks for years and years and years. So this is an absolute treat for me. Thank you. You and I have two things in common right off the bat. Number one is both you and I love you. huge fans of you. And then the second thing is you and I are both really passionate about talking with emerging adults about love and sex and healthy relationships. Yes. When I was getting ready for our conversation, I was reviewing your body of work. And I knew, of course, about Come As You Are and the Come As You Are workbook and the burnout book, all of which I love and recommend. But here's what I did not know about you. I did not know that you write steamy, hot, sex-positive feminist romance novels under an assumed name. So please, like, tell me about that. As if I couldn't love you more, I now think that I do.
1: <laughs> I am a reader of romance. When you do work around sexuality, you end up doing a lot of work around trauma and a lot of dark stuff. So I require additional happily ever afters in my life, and romance is a place where I can get that. Plus, it's a genre that's written... Primarily by women, primarily for women, primarily about women's sex and relationship satisfaction, which is a pretty darn great space to dwell in. But shortly before I started writing Come As You Are, Fifty Shades of Grey came out. And my students kept asking me, like, what do you think of this book? How has it worked for you? And I hadn't read it. and I, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I am a reader of romance. So I picked it up with an open mind. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hate it immediately. (laughs) And I I didn't throw it against the wall at all until the first spanking scene. Uh... So as a reader of romance, I know how the first spanking scene is supposed to go. Our heroine is supposed to go, I know I'm not supposed to like this, but I like it so much, right? I read it carefully looking for a single word about pleasure, about her She had consented to it. Yes. Even though she didn't want it. And she does not like it. Mm -hmm. Not a single instant of it. And even though she will later go on to describe her experiences feeling something like debased, abused, and degraded hmm. After the spanking, Christian Grey, the hero, puts his fingers in her vagina and says, feel this, Anastasia, see how much your body likes this. Mm-hmm. And I teach a whole class in my semester long class. And there's a whole chapter on arousal non concordance, which is. The science that tells us that there's not necessarily a relationship between what your genitals are doing and what you want or like, certainly not, whether or not you like your genitals cannot consent to anything. The only thing genital response tells us is that something sex related happened. And is it sex related for your sex and relationship partner to touch your butt? Mm -hmm. Sure it is. So it's totally... Like, a sex-related something or other happened, so it makes sense that her genitals will have responded, even though she did not want or like what was happening. But here's the thing for me. Even though she feels debased, degraded, and abused, she believes him. Mm -hmm. Because he says, look, your genitals responded, therefore you wanted and liked this. And so many young women, like, I'm a college health educator reading the story of a college student being gaslit. And I'm enraged. This is supposed to be a sex scene, and instead it is the beginnings of an emotionally abusive, manipulative relationship. So yeah, I threw that against the wall. And at the time I was writing a blog, and I wrote five angry blog posts about how that like there's gotta be a way to write a feminist, yeah, sex positive and not least medically accurate story <laughs> of a college-age woman who's sexually inexperienced. Experiencing her sexual awakening with an older, more experienced man. And my blog readers were like, money where your mouth is, Emily. And so I wrote it. It is a duology Mm -hmm. called How Not to Fall and How Not to Let Go. There's a big rock climbing metaphor. Love it. In it. uh, And I wrote it under the name Emily Foster, just Mm -hmm. as a like brand distinction. Don't think you're getting sex education when you read the romance novels. It is just
0: fun. You put your money where your mouth was. Emily, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests on Reimagining Love. I want to know about a growing edge that you're currently working on in one of your important relationships and what it has been teaching you. So
1: I'm at the beginning of writing the next book. So one of the stories about Come As You Are is, so writing a book is terrible. Like, it's just so stressful. (laughs) Like, I'm really proud. I'm really glad that I did it. But man, it is it is hard work. And as I was writing Come As You Are, I was thinking about sex and writing about sex all day, every day. And because I was so stressed, I had like zero interest in actually having any sex. So Mm -hmm. like months at a time of nothing Mm -hmm. in my relationship. So my challenge is to write a book and stay well enough to be connected to my partner who is... The main reason I was able to write the book, like he kept the household together while I was writing the book. Then I went on book tour and traveled all over and he was so 100% there for me and patient and understanding. And he's more important than the book. Yes. That's my point of growth because it's so easy for me to get lost in the work. The work feels very important. Like this is my mission in life is teaching people to live with confidence and joy inside their bodies and connect with their erotic selves. So it's easy to feel like the book is the most important thing. And so my growing edge to be like, no, my husband is the most important thing. And this book will only be written well, if I'm writing it in a state where I feel connected with him. The book is about sex and long term relationships,
0: fortunately. So all I have to do is follow my own advice. There's something so validating about you even just sharing with us that when you were writing Come As You Are, a project as big as a book and as stressful as a book was hitting your brakes, which I think at some point we ought to talk about the dual accelerator model, and your brakes were locked. And that's so understandable. But I think it's also just so normalizing that it's easy for listeners or the audience to kind of have fantasies about, well, Emily has this all figured out. And so Emily probably doesn't ever struggle with her own sexuality and her own erotic connection with her partner. So there's something so validating about you sharing that and also sharing that your intention as you go into this next book is to figure out how to keep one foot in the passion and the enthusiasm that you bring to this book and one foot in the passion and enthusiasm that you bring to your marriage.
1: Exactly. And I believe the two can go together really well. I've always been a very all-or-nothing sort of person. Like, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of 20 years in school, I would just, like, bust my ass all through, like, a semester and then collapse in a heap yeah. at the end of it and recover. And I was also working a full-time job at the same time. Those <laughs> were income as you are. Mm-hmm. Ah. And so, like, I would push really hard, and it was like this giant project, and I'd get to the end of the book and collapse in a heap. And yeah. I had not taken into I was like, when I finished the book, when I finished the book, when I finished the book, but I hadn't taken into account the collapse in a heap time, which is also not an amazing time No, for erotic connection. So I was like no. following my own advice. We set up a date night
0: mm-hmm.
1: on this day. At this time, we're going to show up, put our bodies in the bed, let our skin touch each other's skin. And because of responsive desire... Usually yeah. what should happen is you're like, "Oh, this is a good idea." Yes, good. Mm-hmm. And instead I would just cry and fall asleep. Uh-huh. But here's the thing that even though being a sex educator does not mean I don't ever experience difficulties and challenges, I totally do. Mm-hmm. What it does is help me not panic. Yes. And not worry that I am permanently broken. I understand that what's happening is that stress is hitting my brakes yep. and there is no amount of loving and being attracted to my partner, enjoying the sex that we have. There's no amount of that that could counterbalance how intensely my brakes were being hit. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so some of these themes that we're working on are going to come up in our listener questions. So let's move into those. I, because you are you and such a wealth of wisdom and and such a gifted teacher, I couldn't limit us to one listener question as I usually do. So I pulled out two listener questions for us to tackle together. Are you ready to go there? Ready. Okay. So question number one comes to us from a listener in Mexico, and she uses she, her pronouns. And what she writes to us is this. Hello, I'm not currently in a relationship of any kind, but sometimes I struggle with enjoying sexual and physical intimacy as a mutual experience rather than performing for my male partner. I do, like every woman I know, queer or straight, have issues with body image, and I anticipate that this has something to do with my struggle. Any suggestions or resources in communicating this to my future partner and relearning how to experience sex and physical intimacy would be very appreciated. Thank you. So what stands out to you about this
1: question? This is an extremely important question, and it's an extremely common question. Let me just do the dual control model real quick so people understand what the heck I'm talking about. So the mechanism in your brain that controls sexual response is called the dual control mechanism. Dual control, meaning that there's two parts. One part is a sexual accelerator which is like the gas pedal. It notices all the sex-related information, everything you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, or crucially, think, believe, or imagine that your brain codes as related to sex, and it sends the turn-on signal that many of us are familiar with. So both of these are are functioning at a low level all the time, including right now. Here we are talking about sex. So there's a tiny little bit of sex-related information. So you've got to tiny little bit of turn on signal happening Mm -hmm. but at the same time your brakes are noticing all the very good reasons not to be turned on right now everything you see hear smell touch taste or think believe or imagine that your brain codes as a potential threat and it is a simple enough image to think of body image issues as your own body being something that you think, believe or imagine is a threat. So if you're walking around in a body and you like get yourself into an erotic zone whether it's with somebody else or by yourself and every contact with maybe there are specific body parts that when they get touched it just activates all this body self criticism, right? Is our body self critical thoughts are those activating the accelerator?
0: Right. Not.
1: They're totally hitting the brakes, right? Yeah. So uh, the intervention then becomes really clear. How do you fix this? You train your brain not to respond to those body self-critical thoughts with practice. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of different names for this kind of practice, but it's a gradual. You do sexy things by yourself. And every time you notice a body self-critical thought come into your head, you go, oh, Hello. Body self critical thought. I'm going to go put you over on a shelf over there and not think about you. Right now, I'm just going to return my attention to the pleasurable sensations happening in my body. Oh, hello again, body self critical thought. Uh, Again, I'm going to put you on the shelf and I'm going to return my attention to this pleasurable sensations happening in my body. This mindfulness practice of noticing what you're paying attention to and making a choice to pay attention to pleasure. Is one of the evidence based interventions for training your brain not to react to those body self critical thoughts. Another one is something I call the mirror exercise. This is adapted from the Body Project, which is an evidence based intervention for preventing disordered eating in college women, Mm -hmm. where you stand in front of a mirror, as close to naked as you can cope with, Mm -hmm. and you write down everything you see that you like. Mm -hmm. And what happens in your head when you look at yourself naked is, All that stuff you've been taught all your life, you're supposed to be critical of, all those thoughts are going to come flooding in and that's fine. Again, you're just going to set them on yourself somewhere else. You can have those thoughts later if you want to. Mm -hmm. Feel free never to have them also. That's also a choice. So write down everything you see that you like. You know what? It might be your eyelashes. It might be your ankle bones. It might be your kneecaps. It might be your... Smile. It might be your spirit because you can see it in your eyes. Mm-hmm. Whatever you see that you like, you write it down and then you do it again the next day and again the next day mm-hmm. and again and again. And gradually you change the way you per- You take off the lenses of the culturally constructed aspirational beauty ideal and instead see your body as the miracle that it actually is. It's an inoculation each day against what Amelia and I call the bikini industrial complex. <laughs> and it, it might help the college age people in particular. Not all college age people are politically progressive by any means. But if it helps to motivate a person to challenge these body self-critical thoughts, bear in mind that this cultural standard is sexist. It's mm-hmm. deeply misogynist. Yep. It is white supremacist. It is classist. Mm -hmm. It is the ultimate expression of the white supremacist, cis, hetero, patriarchal, rapidly exploitative, late capitalist culture that we live in, like Mm -hmm. the ultimate act of rebellion for a person in a female body or for a femme-identified person or a gender nonconforming person. The most radical act is to go ahead and love the crap out of your body exactly the way it is.
0: It's beautiful. If you need to, right, like sort of supersize or like amplify like your own deservingness, it does, I think it is helpful to like layer in that feminist consciousness, which is deeply, as you're laying it out, deeply intersectional. So it's a form of allyship and it's a form of subversion and it's, and it's a little quiet revolution that matters. All those little revolutions matter and they matter deeply.
1: So I have a big, noisy, loud body that communicates very clearly with me. And my sister is alexithymic. Her mm-hmm. internal experience is very quiet. She has to get to into a very deliberate mental space and listen very carefully to figure out whether she has diarrhea mm-hmm. or is she hungry mm-hmm. or no, that's menstrual cramps. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And... It helps her to be able to do these exercises because her internal experience is pretty hidden from her. It helps her to frame her intention within her political perspective. It gives her a why, something larger than herself of like, why am I doing this? Beautiful. I can do it because my body is like, you have to do this. How dare you torture me? Mm -hmm. And she does it because she's like, of course I have to do it. How dare I allow the world to do that to me?
0: I love it. Okay, Emily, let's, let's work on the performance pieces because the other other thing she's saying, I mean, she's got, and I love that she's got these like really strong hunches that there's Mm -hmm. something going on around body image and performance. And the performance piece is so incredibly common also for women. I hear about this all the time as well. So talk to us a bit about what do we want her to know and remember and anchor into around the shift from away from performance and into pleasure and experience and sensation.
1: It's a really similar answer. This one resonates a lot with me because by the time I got to be sexually active with partners, I had been trained by women's magazines to be like a sexual performer. Yes. Glamour magazine taught me that men really love it when you touch your breasts. Mm -hmm. Men really like it when you make noise. So I made noise and Mm -hmm. I seemed to like it. And Mm -hmm. I mistook behaving as though I liked it for the actual experience of pleasure. So, and it is, it's just so common that people have this experience. And especially given human giver syndrome, it doesn't matter what gender your partner is. If you were raised with these scripts that say other people's pleasure matters more, your job is to perform pleasure for other people's delight, Mm -hmm. then of course you're performing. Of course. So I feel like the first step has to be recognizing that what you're doing is
0: following the rules you were given. Such a good listener. You were a very good listener. Good
1: girl A+. Plus. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And the rules you were given are bullshit. Yeah, they suck. I Income As You Are, I use this uh, garden metaphor where, like, on the day you're born, you're given this little plot of rich and fertile soil. And on that very first day, your family of origin and your culture begin to plant seeds of ideas about bodies and sexuality and gender and love and safety. And they tend it for you. And as you grow up, they teach you to tend the garden. So by the time you get to adulthood, there it is. This Mm -hmm. is your brain and everything it believes about gender and sex and safety and love and boundaries and communication And some people get really lucky with like great sex positive things and all they have to do is like weed and harvest. Mm -hmm. And then some of us get some really toxic crap planted in our gardens and we have the job and some of that toxic crap is, for example, your pleasure doesn't matter as much as your performance for your partner. So if you got that, like, you know, it's there, you can see it. Now you have a choice. Do you Mm -hmm. want to keep watering it and giving it lots of light? Or do you want to pull it out and throw it on the compost heap to rot and plant something different there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The tricky thing about these ideas is that they're weeds. You pull it and it'll grow back and you've got to pull it again. Yeah, You've got to pull it again, Mm -hmm. which is why you look in the mirror every day, which is why you masturbate multiple times a week or whatever practice you engage in to help you connect you. With your own pleasure. And practice. It is. I think Mm -hmm. this is one of those things where reading things that reinforce the idea that your pleasure truly matters can help because I want all of us to believe that our pleasure matters without having to justify it, without having to explain any further. We yeah. should just feel it deep in our souls and our hearts and our guts and just know. And the fact is, if you've spent a couple of decades of your life being brainwashed into the lie that your pleasure doesn't matter, that it is your performance that matters, it's your conformity with somebody else's idea of who you're supposed to be that matters, all those messages coming from the outside cannot be effectively completely contradicted just by you. You need you need help.
0: That's right. Yes, which is, which takes me to the part I wanted to address also about, you know, what she's saying is how do I communicate this to a future male partner? And the first thing I want her to remember is that in the communication, it's not an apology. The last thing I want her to do is say, listen, new partner, I want to let you know, like, I have a problem with like body image and I am at risk of performing. And so these are the things you need to know about me. Like, I don't want her to start the conversation from an apology. I really want it to be an invitation. For him, like this man gets the honor of helping work with her around smashing a set of highly gendered, highly rigid expectations that also hurt him. The kind of pressure and need for control that men are taught they have to bring into the bedroom that does not support them experiencing themselves as pleasure givers and pleasure receivers and present, playful, silly partners. So yeah. I want her to be really, I want to invite her to be really empowered as she goes into that conversation.
1: And a lot of potential partners are trained in the same bogus culture that we are to believe that there is a particular body that is like the most attractive. And if your body doesn't conform with that, then they're going to be critical uh, or judgmental. And for me, rule number one is if their reaction to your body is anything short of Wow! And yay! And thanks! They don't get to be naked with your body. Oh. Like they don't. They don't yet deserve it. That's right. And if they are like wow! And yay! And thanks! It's so helpful for us to be able to see ourselves the way they see us. Mm-hmm. And like it's normal to have like again. If you feel critical of your body, you are following the rules that you were told to follow, A plus, good girl, and you get to take this opportunity to uh, build something new for yourself. Communicating about sex is difficult because we are so tender about it. Like the least thing can make us feel like just like crushed. So we want to approach our partner with confidence about whatever it is we're experiencing so that they can be like, oh, this is the thing we can feel confident about. So like you said, rather than it being an apology, it can be, hey, so this is what we're working with. Mm-hmm. I think this is pretty great. There are some places that I go in the world where I don't get treated like it's pretty great. And that has left some scars on me. Mm-hmm. And what I would love with you is for us to heal those scars. <laughs> And pleasure with you can be so amazing that it can do that for me. When you can communicate, so confidence is just knowing what is true, knowing what's true about your body, your sexuality, knowing what's true about the way the world perceives your body, your sexuality. And then joy is the hard part. Joy is loving what's true mm-hmm. about your body. Hard part, loving what's true about the
0: way the world perceives your body. Ooh. Yes. yes. Right? Yes. That's right. Rather than fighting against it. Do political
1: action to fight against it out in the world. Yeah. But don't don't fight against you and never bother with a partner whom you have to fight against for your own self-image.
0: Beautiful. Uh, The way that you framed that, like, hey, so I'm loving this. This is really great. And I've had the experience out in the world where I've been told that there are aspects of my body that are not great. And so I have these scars and together, that that's the power of an intimate partnership. It's like aloe and vitamin E. It totally is. That's right. It's a scar healing project. And that's like intimate allyship. It's like we get to heal. And And I want to understand your scars because especially when there's a gender divide that we're crossing in an intimate partnership, like I want to understand all the ways that the world taught you that your body was anything less And bodacious and beautiful and a miracle. And I want to be to you a source of healing. And I want to create with you experiences that are healing.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. If a person has genitals, they definitely have feelings about those genitals.
0: 100%. They may just have more layers of denial kind of papered over it and difficulty, even more shame around even imagining putting into voice some of the gnarly thoughts and stories and feelings that they have Mm -hmm. about their genitals.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation. I had lunch with a group of sex therapists and they told me that they were experiencing sort of a wave of people with penises coming to individual sex therapy just to repair their relationship with their penis.
0: Oh, yeah, right. I, it breaks my heart and it makes me feel so incredibly hopeful because my gosh, if we could move away from a highly penis focused sexual script, I mean, we can really change the world. Like, that's going to be revolutionary, right? If men entered a sexual experience feeling like their penis is going to do what their penis is going to do, but I got this whole big body that's doing all kinds of things. I think there's- So many things. So many wonderful things that actually, right, when we look at sort of what creates orgasms in vulva-bodied people, the penis actually isn't that central, which is- Incredibly permission giving, right? There's on a penis bodied person, there's lots and lots of parts that have the power to make if you are ever
1: threatened by a vibrator, you are underestimating yourself. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) You got all kinds of settings that the vibrator doesn't (laughs) match. Yeah, I love that. Vibrator cannot look your partner in the eyes. That's right. It can't, doesn't have big arms to hold a partner, right? Yeah. Can't pin you down with hands and legs. That's right. That's right. So much possibility. We have one more question. I mean, I want this listener to know also, and I want all the listeners to know that on your website, you have a tab that is worksheets. And these are worksheets that I have done myself and sent to my clients. And um, so there's five worksheets and every single one of them is helpful and will give, you know, kind of help this listener kind of round out The work that she is doing. And I appreciate so much the work that she's doing. One of the lines from the worksheet that's called Turning Off the Offs is you invite um, the person filling out the worksheet to play with this idea of what would it feel like to identify as a warm and erotic woman who is curious and playful about sex. Like that is just planting the seed of possibility. Like what would that be like? And starting from there. Yeah.
1: Because most of us, we have a script in our minds about what, like, an ideal sexual person should be, like, who we are supposed to be. The really complicated part is we usually have multiple contradictory scripts of the idea, like, is an ideal sexual woman supposed to be, like, virginal and pure and not interested in sex? Like, there's definitely, that script exists in my head. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, it's there side by side with the script that says that the ideal sexual woman is supposed to be really erotic and really horny and able to orgasm easily from vaginal stimulation and love sex and want sex all the time. And where yeah. in these scripts am I?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The reason those questions are there is to, like, write your own script. What would it be like if you were the sexual self that you can imagine could be real for you.
0: I love that. And the words that you use, warm, erotic, curious, yeah. playful. They are moving us away from the performance or the very narrow, right? Either the, you know, kind of slutty, sleazy, ready for anything, or the shut down, really good, kind of um, well put together. Like the, the, We get to be Prime all, we get to be lots and lots and lots of contradictions. Okay, let's do our last question. Ready to move okay. on? Yeah. Question number 2 is from a listener in Orange County, California, who also uses she/her pronouns. And she writes to us, "Why would your partner rather masturbate than make love to the woman he claims to love? And how can I help him understand that it's so hurtful as a woman not to feel desired? And can communication really improve sexual desire?" He'll say he doesn't see me that way and doesn't get any sexual energy from me. I don't understand. I might be a little traditional and would like for him to approach me. I am not the one to initiate. I believe that he should not, so to speak.
1: There's a lot happening in this question. First of all, it makes very good sense. It's a very common story that people, when they have like no interest in sex in their relationship, They'll find it very easy and interesting to masturbate by themselves with or without porn, with or without any sort of like digital somebody else stimulation because of that brakes and gas thing that I was talking about. So when there's another person involved, that can be like lots of stimulation to the gas pedal. But it sounds like in this situation, probably through an accumulation of time over and over learning to associate the partner with things that hit the brakes, rejection, having performance expectations, being rejected, Mm -hmm. being expected to follow a script, feeling the demand of always having to be the one who initiates and never feeling wanted in return. That builds up a big like clump of stuff that hits the brakes and it's like you've got a clog in the plumbing Mm -hmm. and the solution is to clear out the clog Mm -hmm. so it is not that communication per se can improve desire it's that communication can help you sort out that tangled mess that got created between you and come as you are use this deliberately silly metaphor of your difficult feelings are like these sleepy hedgehogs and when you confront a difficult emotion, like, for example, I feel upset that my partner is masturbating but is not interested in sex with me, you sit quietly. It's like you try to sit down in a chair and there was this hedgehog snoozing. So you have to like pick it up and hold it and you listen to it. You find out its name. Its name is, could be jealousy, could be resentment, could be all, could be many different things simultaneously. And you ask it what it needs in order to be set free. Mm-hmm. And then you very gently and calmly take your sleepy hedgehog to your certain special someone and say, I have this hedgehog named jealousy, named frustration, named resentment, named loneliness. And here is what it is asking for in order to set it free so that I can feel more sexually connected to you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Is that something you can help me with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if enough time passes and enough sleepy hedgehogs accumulate like if your bed's covered in snoozing hedgehogs no wonder you cannot find your way to each other right (laughs) because you have to you have to like discard enough of the sleepy hedgehogs so communication clears the space for desire the other thing i would say is uh because she asked specifically about desire forget desire may i swear you can swear fuck desire who cares about desire desire doesn't matter desire is beside the point, what matters is pleasure.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Do you like the sex that you and your partner have Mm -hmm. when you have sex? If you like the sex, okay. But if one or both of you does not like the sex you are having, it is normal not to want it. That's right. And so what you need to fix is the pleasure. Mm -hmm. And if you do like the sex you are having then it's going to be important to shed the idea of initiation, of who started it, of who came to who. The knocking, can I come in, one person initiating, is not the model of initiation that is experienced by couples who experience a high-quality, long-term sexual connection. Couples who sustain a long term sexual connection are couples who plan and schedule the sex. Yep. It goes in your calendar. I know people often don't like the idea like sex should be spontaneous. Mm-hmm. That is the number one myth that people just need to abandon. That's why desire does not matter. What matters is you are so important to me yes. that I'm going to cordon off time in my very packed schedule. Maybe we've got kids to raise, maybe we've got jobs to go to, maybe we've got Other family members to attend to. Maybe we've got other friends we want to spend time with. God forbid we just want to watch some TV and go to sleep, right? Right. But no, I'm going to cordon off this space because erotic time with you matters so much to me and to us that I'm going to protect it and make sure that I show up with my party clothes on to this party that we're going to throw together for ourselves. Yeah. that's in the couples who sustain a long-term sexual connection. That's how it works. Absolutely. That's the best.
0: Well, given you know, given the way that she's told us this story, her pain and her feelings of rejection make oh my so gosh. much sense, right? She so has much a sense. belief that he as the man should be initiating. She has a belief that masturbation is a direct sign that he doesn't love her. We don't know the context in which he said, I'm not getting any sexual energy from you. That sounds really painful because what she heard is I'm not a desirable woman in my, in my husband's eyes. Right. So there's a ton of pain and it makes sense. And when we're in pain, we move away and away and away from each other. And yep. so I, I can imagine that each of their heads are full of the most painful versions of this mm-hmm. story. And you are offering just a ton of new opportunities for how they can find their way back. And, I mean, this idea of scheduling sex and just just hacking the system around initiation. Because the initiation stuff, right, it's tender and it takes on a life of its own and a meaning of its own. It's highly gender scripted for heterosexual couples. So I'm here for scheduling sex. And when I present it, I'm doing like a workshop with couples and I you know, present it, then we talk about all the very They're immediately like, oh, yes, yeah. we
1: should do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, they're <not.
0: laughs> But it's, and but it is. it's I, shedding. I want to
1: make sure we say, because there's so much pain here, there's so much pain here. Yes. Your first step is not let's schedule sex. Mm-hmm. Your first step is like connect with each other emotionally because both of y'all have accumulated feelings about the sex mm-hmm. and you're going to have the process of healing the feelings about sex is
0: part of finding your way back to each other. Yes. Thank you. And I want her to hold on to the very likely, I mean, I imagine that he has his own set of feelings and perhaps having been socialized as a man, perhaps she doesn't really have a lot of access to that. And so in her mind, he's fine and good. And he's just over there with his porn doing just fine. And I have every confidence that there are layers and layers of pain and rejection and things that you were naming with the hedgehogs, right? That he has his own feelings of rejection and loneliness and fear of inadequacy And if they could get to that stuff that lives beneath the surface of these scripts for each of them, I think there's a ton of healing that's possible and a re like a burn that system down and like build a new system around who they get to be erotically with each other.
1: I often suggest that people imagine the difficulties with their sexual functioning as a third separate thing that they can fix together or destroy together and build something new. Because if you perceive your partner as the problem or as the enemy or the obstacle between you and the sex life you want, you are not going to be able to sustain that sexual connection. If you reframe it that your partner is your partner in crime of destroying the scripts you were both fed and the beliefs you were both raised with, probably mutually contradictory beliefs. Yep which is why we end up in such difficulties that like together, you're going to collaborate to create something that you both want and like. Mm. Then you're set free as opposed to trying to fix yourself because you're the broken one or fix your partner because they're the broken one. Neither of you is broken. You're both just doing your best to follow what you think you're supposed to be doing. And it turns out everything you were ever taught about sex it has done you dirty. And I get so angry when I hear questions like this because, like, if they had had access to great comprehensive sex education that includes, like, not shaming people, breaking down the gender binary and the patriarchal roles and scripts that we get handed and clear sexual communication, this wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. But it's been centuries. It's been millennia that these scripts have been reinforced over and over again. And for every couple to take up the burden of undoing what was done to them. Mm -hmm. I know, I know that it happens every day in therapist's office around the world. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of hope for this couple, but Mm -hmm. like, I think, I think a burn it down approach is what's going to work.
0: It's, I often, I feel like when I'm working with my couples over the course of a week, I feel like a sentence I say again and again is, this is a problem that's too big for blame. Right. Too big for blame. And it's so easy, especially about, because sex is so vulnerable. It's really easy. Like, it's like a, it's like a hot potato. Like, I don't want to be the one who's the problem. And I don't want, you know, so we kind of pass back and forth. It's too big for blame. And yeah. every sexual problem is a couple problem. Like they've got to, mm-hmm. and I love that image of the two of them approaching this as a team and that they get to and find their way back to each other.
1: And you don't have to follow anybody else's rules, which is why I describe it as partners in crime. Like your job is to do it in exactly the way that works for you, regardless of what anybody else has taught. So this question asker describes herself as fairly traditional. She can keep all of the tradition stuff that she wants, that works for her, and This is an opportunity to challenge and discard the stuff that is just like a safety net. So if couples want to have decent sex, they can follow the rules. If they want to have really good authentic sex, so get to know your personal sexual terrain, your own internal landscape, get to know your partner's sexual terrain and their internal landscape. And that's going to include like, I am a fairly traditional person. I follow these rules. And then hand in hand with your partner, you step beyond the boundaries of what you know of yourself together. You could be stepping off a cliff, but (laughs) you trust your partner enough to go beyond what you know into the unknown of your sexual self. And that adventure, that trust, that daring is where sexual growth Mm -hmm. happens, where change gets created that is
0: permanent. Mm -hmm. Right. Identifying as I am traditional means that maybe she gets, she's she so far in her life has bypassed some of the things that might feel uncomfortable, like having to own her pleasure, take responsibility for what she wants. Like it's not quite as full and as rich as she wants and hopes it to be. There's a safety in it. So I love, I'm going to go back to the question that you put in the turn off the off worksheet like what would it feel like you listener in orange county california what would it feel like for you to identify as a warm and erotic woman who is curious and playful about sex and there are ways yeah. that might be confronting because that maybe doesn't fit neatly with the, the story of a traditional woman but i just would want her to play with what might be possible try what it might, on mm, try it on Emily, I could just talk to you for the rest of the day. But we're gonna wrap this up. And I thank you to both the our listener in Mexico and our listener in California, because those two questions I think offered a ton of avenues for people who are listening here. And I hope that you both feel like you got some support, some clarity around next steps. And um, Emily, I know I mean I, th- I think that a lot of people who are listening already know you and follow you and cherish you, but tell us what you want us to know about what you're working on, and how people can stay connected with all the work that you're doing.
1: The social media place people can find me is Instagram, Mm -hmm. E Nagoski, uh, though mostly it's pictures of my dogs and the books I've been reading lately. I have various TED Talks and things Mm -hmm. on the YouTube that you can find. And may I also offer that if you're following people on Instagram while we're at it, there's an account called The Nap Ministry. Yes. Which is about centering rest and pleasure, especially for Black people in America, as action against the labor stolen from Black bodies as part of our capitalist cultural history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will change your life.
0: I love that account. And we will share all of this in the show notes. Emily, thank you.
1: Thank you so much. This was so much fun.
0: I really, really appreciate you. and um, And take care. Till next time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Emily, for bringing your insights and your compassion to Reimagining Love. I'm excited for Dr. Emily's work to continue to challenge our ideas about sex, pleasure, and partnership. And I hope that you will grab copies of her books, Come As You Are and Burnout, which are linked in the show notes for this episode so that you can learn even more from her. Thank you also to our listeners for submitting those vulnerable and brave questions because they made this rich conversation possible. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.